here's a place where all of us can be safe. Our stories of transformation can be safe, and all the things we want to research are safe here. This is Safe Space with Cheyenne. I'm really excited you're here, and I hope you stick around for a while, because I've got a lot to show you before I leave Earth. I love you guys. Hi, my friends. I do have a special guest, even though all the guests are special, but this one I've been following for a few months on Substack. His name is Scott. It's Brighton, I believe. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. He has a page on there called Consciousness, the Doorway to Human Evolution. So as you followed my journey through all the other conversations we've had, um, I am adamant on expressing the experience I had with a Kundalini awakening. Um, I know Greg Braden calls it an Akashic awakening, and I do prefer to call it that, but for this conversation, we'll stick with spiritual awakening. Um, Scott found himself in the middle of a spiritual emergency, living a very modern life. And I am completely captivated by everything that he shares because it is very science-based, it's very grounded, and it's really, really easy for me at least to digest and feel so much better about the experience that I had four years ago. So Scott, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, it's great to be here, Cheyenne. And, um, you know, a fellow explorer of this material like you, I had actually never heard of an Akashic awakening before as a terminology to describe that experience. Um, that's cool. Yes. It, he says it's a Akashic remembering because you're unbinding and ridding yourself of all the things that are not you to go back to your truest state. So therefore, you might have been lost, but you're really just remembering yourself. Because so many people, especially when they get into like the ego death trap, like, oh, I have to get rid of my ego. Um that that's not the point. That's really more in like a, a Buddhist concept that I like talking about of like purifying your disposition and letting those two dark side and light signs like unify within you. So um, just like you, I mean, I've went down plenty of rabbit holes to see how other people have interpreted anything with spirituality or connections with the divine or how like how people are describing it is probably my favorite way. Mm. And you, I mean, I really want to get into your story because you are, I mean, you had a very successful career going. You were already an avid meditator. You woke up in the morning, you had your routine, you read your books. You weren't like out of control is what I think of it, right? Like so many people I talk to, they weren't living such a, I don't want to say like sus, such a successful life, but when I think of people that have these awakenings happen to them, you were very worldly successful, stressed out, obviously running your own company. But I'm curious, like what, what did it feel like to you to feel like you were always personally developing and as you wrote, trying to become somebody, but then you had this experience that you nor Western medicine could come up with besides you're just stressed out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a fascinating experience. Um, yeah, just to give a little bit of context to paint the full picture, I definitely have been kind of like the first 30 years of my life, I would describe as like trying to be the perfect human. <laughs> um, where, 
you know, I, w- I went to Princeton University. I went to the best school. I was the captain of the football team. I was the president of my fraternity. Left the left the uh, moved to New York City and got into tech startups and had a lot of success there and raised a bunch of money from the some of the top venture capitalists in the world to start my most recent business and all what i see now is that all of that perfectionism was was a strategy it was a strategy of a part of ego a part of self that just felt efficient that didn't feel like it was enough like it was safe like it was okay and so it obsessively controlled the world tried to control the world around me in order to feel okay and you know that recognition and shift was 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 far from an overnight experience i um like you Cheyenne had a kundalini energetic opening that was onset by ayahuasca i really wasn't a spiritual person at all i meditated but it was basically to deal with anxiety you know i had a i had a practice to just kind of temper the stress of living that perfectionist lifestyle and um you know when all of this uh energy stuff started happening and you know basically like i thought that that was something that had just happened because of the plant medicine but then in in the days and weeks and months that followed like it just didn't stop like there's just constant spontaneous energy moving through me making me shake all kinds of weird phenomena phenomena that i didn't know what was going on and at first all of that seems like a big like it was interfering right like i had that kind of script and narrative of like all right i get up i do my morning routine. I go to the gym. I read my book. I meditate. I listen to podcasts. I go to work. I like, you know, the whole kind of regimented lifestyle of success. And um, now all of a sudden I had this like weird energy thing and it was like throwing off my little comfort zone routine. And um, it just, it just kind of, basically forced me onto the spiritual path because instead of like gradually fading into the distance, the reverberation of like what was happening to me physically and like some of the other symptoms just made it just like impossible to ignore. Like it wasn't going away. It was like getting stronger. And so I needed to, I needed to go on my quest to figure out what was happening with me. And that all kind of led me into this, this spiritual interest and passion. So you have your YouTube channel and then you also write about it on Substack. How do you go about like even reaching out to people and explaining to them, like, are they pretty open and knowledgeable of a spiritual awakening by this point? Or have you still come across people that are like, they're trying to westernize it back into something out of the spirit. Yeah. I think most people don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> um, I feel you know, so seen. Like, like I'll give like you a great, great example. example. I recently 
Um, one of the things I'm doing right now is I'm writing a book and in anticipation of that, I'm, you know, starting to be more active on more places. So like I, I had a very big LinkedIn network from my startup days. I think I have like 26,000 followers and I've started to post on there different ideas around spirituality and the integration of some of these concepts, um, with a normal Western life. And I got to tell you, it does not resonate. Like you just, there just isn't a, a lot of response. I think like people don't know what I'm talking about. And yeah, I mean, I have a lot of friends who are very, um, I would say physicalists, you know, they only believe what they can see. Um, or they believe like what science can tell them. And, you know, it's, it's, there was a period of time where I felt like some type of compulsion to try to, you know, share what I believe the truth is. But the reality is, is that is just the ego. And everyone is on their own journey, on their own timeline. And, you know, I still feel very inspired to share my truth, but I also don't feel like I need to convince people, you know, like I don't need to try to like, be like, wake up, you know, yeah, you're not going to Thanksgiving, like check this out, man. Exactly. I really think that that's a part of it though. There's some things again, like retrospect's always better for me. I'm a hands-on learner. I'm just going to have to go through it and really like submerge myself in whatever topic or whatever I'm learning. And then, you know, I'll come out of it and I'll get the knowledge that I want. And I'll be like, I'll have to ask myself the question, like, what did my ego attach to? Because my ego is obviously what's protected me and kept me alive for all of these years. So to think that two sporadic kundalini awakenings could potentially eradicate it that's probably an ego-based thought as well so it's so sneaky how it'll just put on like Mm. another outfit and pretend like that it's going to be something else and for me i'll get caught up in like the shame of it for a minute where i'm like i got myself i got dang it no but then i'll go out and do a little more research kind of not see people who are ahead of me because we are on our own journey but if they've had similar experiences than me and they're like these these are kind of pitfalls that everybody needs to experience for themselves whether you read an article or read a book about it before it actually happens to you doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to fall into it in the next six months to a year to two years you have to go through it for your own experience what i find troublesome in me is Yes, I'm trying to stay out of all of these traps that I've been told about. And even though that I've went and fallen in them, now I get a little disgruntled on my path. Again, being an ego mind. And I'm like, oh, no, have I have I formed some side of weird spiritual psychosis? Is all of this real? And I'll spiral for a minute and then I'll write and I'll meditate and I'll breathe and I'll come right back out of it pretty quick. But Mm. there is still like a weird shame in a minute when you're like, I know better. I know that my ego can come in and do that. Like, do you have moments, even though obviously with the direct experience you had with the energy coming through your body, where the further you get away from the 
event horizon that you're like, did that happen? Was mm. was I just, you know, making these this part up? Yeah, so just a few comment commentary and then I'll get to the main question. Um you're absolutely right that like there is these like rites of passage that everyone has to go through. In my opinion, like there's no skipping some of these things and you know everything from like needing to evangelize to spiritual ambition like there's so much things there you you read about it and you have to go through it you have to kind of experience it um there's no bypassing it eventually it will come into your experience and for me actually the recognition of that has created a greater sense of grace you know one of my big patterns that was you know, clearly emanates from the ego and was a big part of my previous um, paradigm was the need to do it right. Like I need to do it right. I need to be perfect. And, um, you know, now that I have greater awareness around that and have brought my attention to it, I, there's like a refined acuity to recognize it, right? Where it's like even small in small ways where it's like, you know, I'll be in meditation and it's like, well, you know, maybe you have like an ecology of practices. I know I do where it's like, I can focus, I can use internal family systems. I can use Advaita Vedanta. I can like do all of these things as shit comes up and I kind of work with them dynamically and I'll be in the practice and something will come up and I'll be like, oh, should I be doing parts work for this? Oh, should I be doing, should I be doing this for that? And I'm like, wait a second, who's trying to do it right? Right. And like, I have experiences like that all the time. And I think, I think that's the, like the, the more you just sit in that and you're like, wait a second, like, of course I have that. Like, that's what's to be expected. And, and the more we embrace like what is, which is like, you know, that, that pesky little ego coming up again and again, the more it softens. Um, so yeah, I definitely have lots of what you're describing. I don't know that I have any kind of like unquestioning of my reality. Like I know what I've experienced and I believe it fully. And I think it's instead just become a greater a greater comfort in the fact that, you know, to most people, my experience is pretty freaking weird, you know, and they won't understand it. And that's okay. I think if I met you, you know, over a table somehow of mutual friends and you were like, oh, yes, I had a Kundalini activation through an ayahuasca trip, I would be like, I would like to talk to you for the rest of the night and I'm going to need you to explain it to me in like very small increment details. Like, let me digest the story. Like, let me be you while you, while you tell me the story. I, the, probably the hardest thing for me that I've found is how uninterested I am in a lot of the things that used to interest me, which is going to happen when you start redirecting your energy and mind into all new subjects, right? But when I go out and I have to sit at tables with people 
or conversations where, yes, I love checking up on your family. That's great. I'm so glad your kid's in that school and that program and doing that. Um, but then when it comes to like, oh, what are you watching on TV? And I'm like, um, Bluey, because that's <laughs> what my daughter wants to watch or Mickey Mouse, you know. Um, other than that, uh, I'm studying the anatomy of the body, uh, the subtle body by Cindy Dale. And I just revisited a small bit of the Upanishads because something sparked in my mind that I wanted to go back and revisit it. And then I realized, and again, these certain modernized people that I've always loved hanging out with, that maybe like in those moments, I'm like, maybe this isn't this place for this topic. But having even conversations like this with you, I'm like, oh, there are people out there that they really are dedicated to the expansion of not only their own consciousness, but really almost being an example and not a perfect example, but being like, in my direct experience, this is what happened to me. This is what I've researched. And this is what how this research has transformed me. Mm, yeah. yeah, I, I think I it's, think a, it's real, a real, real challenge, challenge to fall out of resonance with people and things of the past. Um, and this, that experience just like continues to happen. It, it like over and over again, I find. Um, and you know, what I've observed is like the difficulty in those experiences is when we hold on to the things of the past, even the relationships, right? Like, and I love, I love, like, there's this concept I really like that my friend shared with me called like friends and brothers. I kind of made it my own and, or brothers and sisters, I kind of made it my own and called it like energizers versus brothers and sisters. And like brothers and sisters are like the people that you grew up with that you like so greatly appreciate the time that you had together and all the experiences and, um, stuff, but like, and you love them because like, they're your brother or your sister, but that doesn't mean that you need to spend time with them all the time because your interests have evolved in different directions. And I think the, you know, what's nourishing to us is to be around people that energize us that have their shared interests and passions. And so like a big part of my work, I think there was a period of time where I would be in those situations and I would be, um, judgmental, um, of people's call it like where they're at. Um, and I also would perceive it as a threat to my own evolution, right. Where it was like, probably not in like discussing TV shows, but like a lot of my friends were like just partying. Right. And like, that, mm -hmm. That's what they were into. And I'm like, oh, uh, like this isn't like, you know, I'm not like this anymore type of type of vibe. And, um, you know, eventually like that, those experiences too had to be like that perceived threat had to be acknowledged. That sense of judgment had to be acknowledged. And the more that I could be with what was, even though it was quote unquote, not spiritual, eventually it became easier to just, to be less affected and to love people, um, you know, 
even though they're, you know, totally different. And so that's, that's definitely been an ongoing work for me. And, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of like on the one hand, I think you want to move towards people that you do resonate with so that you aren't put in those situations where you're like, this is super mundane. <laughs> like, I don't care about this and I'm tired of pretending like it's interesting. On the other hand, I think we need to use those situations when we're in them. Right. Because yeah, we're, gonna, we're going to be in them. Right. So like, it's like, cool, like move towards what you want and use, use what, what comes. Um, and, uh, you know, pay attention to the inner experience in those mundane scenarios because that's always, always interesting, interesting to me, at least. Like, there's always, there's always shit going on to me. The thing that yeah, I think I is think funny, funny is, like, like because I don't, I don't resonate, resonate with so many people that are not into this stuff, uh, I just I don't just really talk, talk a lot. lot. Like, I used, I used to, to talk, talk a lot. lot. And, and I used I to be, like, like, very performative, trying to make people laugh, yeah, trying to be funny, trying to, like, be super engaged. And now oh, I just kind of, you know, spend a lot of time with interception, like feeling into my body. And I'm like, cool, this conversation's not really interesting. I'm just going to like sit here and like see what it feels like in my body and not say a lot. And I think people think I'm boring, but like, yes, that is so relatable. I can admit to somewhat having disassociativeness happen in and out, especially like if we're in a public setting, because I've, I just always love looking around and people watching anyways. But like you, I mean, I would I would probably be the one talking at the table, whatever holiday, whoever I was talking to, genuinely interested in the other person, but still obviously having a story to back it up after you're done, right? And then in the right circle, I can still talk, but in the, yeah, let me fill in my body and see like what version of myself is going to be able to sit at this table. Um, I definitely feel in, but I'll have moments where I'm like, huh, what? Yes. You asked me something. Oh, I'm so sorry. But I mean, I have the gift of gab. So if you ask me a question, I can just go and go and go and connect forever. And that person doesn't really want like a two to five minute answer. They probably were just, you know, trying to stay surface level. And I can do surface level for the most part, but you're right. Like the mundane, you're just like, I'm really excited to go home and read my second book on the Celestine prophecy. You know, they're somewhere back in the woods about to connect with energy. And I want to know what this chapter is about. Like I do, I do catch myself um, struggling with that often, but it leads me to, well, I have a couple questions, but I'm trying to stay on track. Um, the open heart and the, expanding consciousness that you obviously talking about, but your main goal is to obviously lead with compassion and lead with an open heart. So a lot of that really is auditing these unlovable parts of ourselves that we come up with, like the judging and the, oh, you're over there, you're doing those things, that's your path. Because I never want it to be like, I'm further along or you're further along. Again, we're all on our own journey. But what are some practices that you do to help you stay committed to the goal of leading with an open heart as much as you possibly can in your human experience. 
great question. Great question. I think the I think practice, practice is quite quite, quite simple, simple on a meta level, which is it all starts with noticing when the heart's closed. And so my biggest spiritual practice is effectively noticing my response to life, noticing how I am responding to what's happening around me. And when I'm resisting or I'm disturbed, you know, and that can show up a number of ways, like impatient, um, like all the things that we talked about, like judgy, like, cool, my heart's close. Like that's what that's, that's that resistance and disturbance and triggering, um, is effectively showing me my heart's closed. And so what I do is usually when that happens, a lot of times I like can't really deal with it in the moment. But what I do is I have a note on my phone and I write down every single time I'm disturbed on that note. And then I bring that into, um, my like contemplative practice, my meditation in the mornings usually. Um, or if I, maybe if I have some free time and I, I drop in and I sit with that experience and usually I'm kind of actually accessing the energy of that impatience or that threat or whatever it is. I'm opening to it. I'm allowing it to move. And then I'm replacing it with an open heart quality, like unconditional trust, unconditional love, unconditional openness, unconditional gratitude, unconditional humility. And over time, that gradually re-architects and changes the composition of the inner material in your consciousness. Um, and so you just start to become more open-hearted over time. Um, and this is actually something that is now being shown that exact process in the latest science of transformation. There is something called memory reconsolidation. It is the only neurological process that results in like permanent change. It's, it's, it's like typical psychology. A lot of it was around like counteracting where it's like, okay, you have doubts. So like, we're going to just like build all this trust up and that'll like counteract the, the doubt. And what memory reconsolidation is, is like at a neurological level, we can access a past memory or experience. And when we juxtapose that, and we really feel into it and we juxtapose that, it basically opens up our neurology to, um, Insert, uh, insert a um, kind of like a disconfirming experience at, at the same time. And so if we feel doubt, a disconfirming experience would be we bring in this scenario where we feel all this doubt and then we bring in just a ton of trust. And the brain goes, wait a second, well, that old one and this new one can't be true at the same time. So I'm going to have the information updated with this new program. And, and so, yeah, like we can do that with our hearts. And I do think there is like an energetic component that is upstream of what happens neurologically, like the neurolog the neuroscience is like the physical manifestation of what's happening energetically, but it is pretty damn cool that like, this is what latest psychology says 
is the science of permanent transformation. And, um, you know, it's still very under the radar from my perspective, but like that meta process is what you see in so many different successful, um, like, like ancient practices, like Advaita Vedanta, like the self-inquiry, who am I? It's like the same exact thing where it's like, you're bringing up this thing and then you have this disconfirming experience and then all that strengthens changes to the de- the disconfirming experience. Um, it's like, wait a second, there's no nothing there. So, you know, the ego softens. And so parts work, same thing. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the main practice. Like I'm a big fan of like, I don't need a million practices. I just need like a couple and I go really deep on them. Like find what works. Like I think sometimes people get spiritual shiny object syndrome and it's like, they're just one practice away from finding the thing that's like gonna enlighten them. And it's like, or just like do the thing that works for you. Like, thousands of times, (laughs) you know, and, uh, that's, that's what I found to be more fruitful. Do you, um, know anything of Brian Scott's YouTube? I don't actually. Well, I'm going to recommend him to you because he goes through so many topics, but him and Greg Braden are my two faves to flip between. If I had to recommend them to people, Greg Braden talks about, um, oh, how do I say it? So we talked about the basically open heart frequency or the compassion frequency, which would be like 0.1 hertz. And he was talking about breath work where you connect your heart and your brain. Because humans are the only thing on earth that can live disconnected from their heart and survive. Mm. So when these two are not working together, um, you really have no idea who's actually driving the car, right? So it's a very scientific approach to opening your heart and judging or auditing when your heart's closed or not. And then Brian Scott has just an 11 minute meditation where he goes through four different techniques in 11 minutes and guides you through it. And one of them is the four box breathing, which Mm. is my absolute favorite. Um, I've done that. That's a good one. Yeah. So when you said, yeah, do what works for you like a thousand times, it's box breathing for me. And then Greg Braden talks about six breaths in and six breaths out. And Mm. he was explaining on even like a brainwave frequency, what states you actually arrive at and go through to get to this neutrality point. So earlier when I was talking about purifying your disposition as far as like the light side of you and the dark side of you. Um, He explains it scientifically as you need to be balanced in this aspect. And there's so many different things that you can look at. You can look at hemisync meditation that talks about combining the hemispheres of your brain. But then you can go and do like Chinese medicine or any type of Eastern medicine, and they're going to talk to you about meridian lines in your body and the masculine and feminine side of your body. So I love going down the spiritual rabbit hole of things, whether, you know, it's Claire senses, the woo-woo aspect of energy work versus the scientific aspect of energy work. But by far my favorite has been just diving into 
the human body in itself from the neural pathways into all of the different systems that we actually can measure. Mm. So I'm building up to something. I hope you know. Um, I'm, I'm of, eagerly awaiting. So one of my favorite books to study is called The Subtle Body. So I actually read parts of this on TikTok in little increments because, again, I don't want I don't want to read stuff that's going to go over people's head. What's the freaking point, right? But they talk about kundalini activation in this book mm. from a scientific standpoint. And all of the people in here are so well-researched. It's just, you know, on my goal to obviously interview all of them. But before I had that, one of the main things that flipped that switch in my mind from woo-woo to science was something called BioWell technology. Do you know what that is? I don't. You have to you have to go find someone who does this. You're gonna love this. So long story longer, um, it's this guy who basic well, I shouldn't say this guy, it's the scientist that wanted to measure the energy bodies changing before and after psychedelics. This was the original experiment. Mm. So it's this little box where you like put your fingerprints in. And it scans basically like meridian lines, energy points in your body. So you go boop, 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 boop in this little thing. And it goes into the software and it's going to give you printouts of your personal energetic homeostasis, homeostasis by measuring your energy field. So for people that don't know auras, it's going to give you an energy map of your aura in front of your face. Mm. That's obviously going to fluctuate. It's going to go through all the meridian lines. It's going to analyze it based off of a jewels system. It's going to go through a health status, energy glands, energy balances. And here's the one that made me wake up. Oh, wow. These are your chakras on a piece of paper. I didn't know that technology like that existed or that someone like me could actually get my hands on it because you're even going to have a printout of like biorhythm, right? Mm. So I could go on explaining this forever. I don't want to go too deep into it. But this, like my, my mission and your mission of not only explaining consciousness, hey, this happened to me, I'm not here to prove it to you, but look what's out there. But bridging the spirit and the science, since both communities are still kind of like fighting each other over who's right, when they're both right, they're just expressed differently. BioWell is the bridge for me because I was able to see my auric field, even though I'd seen it on other people and it had been explained spiritually to me. Oh, a white aura means this, a yellow aura means this, a purple aura means this. But when you can sit there and have your chakras in front of your face, that's a whole other level of exploration that I usually don't get to talk to people about because they're either one way or the other. They're into the super science of it and they don't want to deal with anything that has been labeled as woo or the woo are just like, yeah, that's fun. That's fine. But I'm going to go buy more crystals, <laughs> you know, not to call anybody out. Um, but I bring that up because I know that there, you said that um, after obviously going through all the things with Western medicine and then basically just being like, yeah, you're stressed out. You run like a 
very important company. And you're like, no, there's got to be more. Like your intuition was obviously pushing you outside of your comfort zone to go explore. So you went into more modalities of even meeting energy workers. What was that like for you for someone who obviously didn't subscribe to that knowing beforehand? You know, I think when it came to start to um, engage with alternative practitioners, there was a renewed openness. Um, I, I, the psychedelic experience, I think for me, was pretty pivotal in that it was the first time that I kind of looked around. And part of this also was the book, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. It's a good one if you haven't read it. Um, just like what I had been told was not necessarily true. And the point in that book was like, I was someone that like had never done any drugs. Like I had alcohol, but like I'd never really done anything. And this, then I had the ayahuasca experience and like, was like, wow, this was so amazing. Like, why would this be illegal? Why would this be called a drug? And when I started to learn about psychedelics and Michael Pollan, it was like, oh, so like these things have been used by humans for thousands of years. They were actually being used in the United States. And then a bunch of pharmaceutical companies got really nervous and hired a bunch of lobbyists and all these things to make them illegal, even though they were helping people. Um, and I was like, wow, okay. So everything that I thought, so much of what I thought is true actually can't be taken at face value. And I think gradually, like, and increasingly, it's like, I just have seen that with everything and including energy work and Western medicine. Like I look at Western medicine now and I'm like, uh, what can you guys do? <laughs> you know, um, it, it's like kind of, kind of a joke. And, um, so I think, at, I think at first, like that created an openness to like, all right, well, I'm just going to start trying stuff and see how I feel and see what seems to help me. And, um, you know, I think with the energy work, like there's, it's it, it, a lot of it's like a yoga class, honestly, where it's like all about the teacher, right? Like, it's like someone can be amazing. Someone can be not so good. And you just have to try a bunch of people. And, um, you know, now I yeah, love I doing love that stuff. stuff. I think it's like so, it's so helpful and it's such a big part of my experience. What is the trippiest thing that anybody's told you in any of these like energy experiences? Have you had them bring up like past lives, guardians, loved ones, uh, spirit animals, numbers? Definitely past lives. Um, I had one where. Um, like someone told me like my grandma was attached to me, um, basically since I was 12. And so like we did a whole ceremony with that and like kind of like extracting her and like sending her into the light. That was pretty trippy. Um, yeah, I've had like lots of entities, <laughs> um, which at first was quite uncomfortable and, you know, now it's just like really not that big of a deal. Um, That's become normal to me as well. Like after studying the 
energetic field. And when you think of everything that's outside of the visual light spectrum, you're like, of course there's stuff I can't see that's probably attached to my energy field. Like I have light in me. It's like a moth to a flame. It's not like you did anything wrong, right? You're just attractive to these sources. Yeah. yeah and it's, and like, it's like, they're not, I mean, I guess there is some downsides, but like, it's not going to hurt you. Um, you know, and I think, I think our job as, you know, sincere spiritual aspirants is like to increasingly, um, embrace all parts of the experience, which includes energies that are not your own, you know, to show them love. Like, and, um, I increasingly find anyone that is like advocating, like, like really like focused on polarity, like really focused on like us versus them type of mindsets is someone that has work to do. And it's, it's something I see a lot right now in in our world where like, you know, everyone that's really into conspiracy and look, I certainly believe a lot of the stuff that is quote unquote conspiracy is actually just true. Um, and it's unfortunate, but like, I come back to the idea of this, like anyone that's really focused on like light versus dark is not focused on oneness. And that's what I'm trying to move towards. Not like strengthening my position in separation. Um, and that's, you know, I feel like a lot of the people that I deal with in that metaphysical world are, are operating from that place. You know, they're, they're talented healers and stuff, but they're just like, yeah, like the dark, you know, like the dark forces and the dark energies and like, you know, it's, um, they're stuck in that. Yes, I can agree. But I can also tell you having the awakening that I had and going through, obviously the want of needing the spirit to kind of help me ground all of the things that I'm learning about and then learning all of the spiritual things at the same time. That is a lot of the rhetoric from older healers that we'll talk about. And the ones that I did learn from the most, um, they worked from absolute light. They were aware of it, but they didn't preach it. And those were the ones that I found myself most safe with. The other ones, like you said, that were they teach duality and they make it apparent that there's this spiritual war going on. Um, it's kind of adopted from Christianity, in my opinion. No, God and the devil don't exist. It's source and lower frequency beings, right? But it's still kind of the same thing, only interpreted differently. That my own like want for oneness your vibration will pull you away from stuff like that. But again, like, so my job is to put myself in the shoes for people to explore it for myself, my own journey and being transparent about my journey. And then also learning about it for myself, seeing what fits and moving on. And same thing for you. When you went into this, you're like, this isn't the end all be all. I don't have the cure all for anybody's ailments or I'm not, I'm not the way, you know, I'm not Jesus by any sense of the word, but are there certain pitfalls that you have either 
been able to get away from or did you just feel like you were vibrationally pulled away because your ultimate goal is you know oneness and unity um so a couple things come up for me um the first the first thing that i think is like a common experience that many people will go through which i had a big going through was um, like spiritual ambition, this kind of determinedness to be enlightened. And so that manifests and like manifested in like, you know, I need to do my meditation every single day for X amount of time. And like, I need to do the practices right. And I always need to be listening to a spiritual podcast. And I always need to be reading a spiritual book. And it's like, it was like taking that um, striving that I was using in the outside world and applying that to spirituality unconsciously. And, um, you know, as you put it, like that was just the ego and another outfit, um, because it didn't feel safe if it, if it wasn't enlightened. And so I think that was like a very big revelation. And so understanding that and then understanding that like, you that doesn't mean don't not do the spiritual practices like and read the books and podcasts and all that kind of stuff just like what is the context of that like is it coming from love is it coming from inspiration or is it coming from like trying to do something right and trying to get somewhere and um trying to be perfect um that was a that was a big lesson and a big unlearning uh to just really just like kind of ease into the timing of my own experience um, and trust that timing. And then, yeah, I think like with a lot of this stuff, like my friend had this great metaphor. Um, have you ever seen like a jet ski boat, like, or water skiing or any of that where like you have that rope and it usually gets like all tangled up. And then like, as the boat pulls away, it like gradually straightens out. I think with a lot of things, whether it's healers, whether it's friends, whether it's relationships, like the universe just naturally sorts it out. You know what I mean? Like people fall away as they're supposed to and people come in as they're supposed to. And it's, you know, there's probably some kind of physics basis for all of this with energies kind of resonating and with each other and harmonizing and not or not. But um, yeah, I think like with that recognition, the okayness for not being in control and like light, allowing life to just work things out for me. Like you see this, you see a lot of this, a lot of the great teachers say the same exact thing, which is just like, your number one job is like, to just get out of the way. And, and, uh, yeah. And I, and I think it's, and it's increasingly proving to be true. And so, you know, there's just how the, the name of the game becomes learning to trust learning to trust, learning to trust in the unknown. And that's why like faith is such a big part of 
so many spiritual traditions. What is your take on quantum entanglement? And have you seen the latest article where they have actually gotten a picture of quantum entanglement and what it looks like? Um, so I haven't, I haven't seen the picture. Um, and, you know, quantum entanglement, basically the idea, just so I'm, we're on the same page, is that like one movement of one particle energy impacts mm-hmm. the entirety of the system, correct? Well, it's like and, two particles that can affect each other no matter how far apart they are, I think is what they were studying. How two atoms, they could be on mm-hmm. even in like another dimension. I don't really know how they're going to do that. That's some CERN talk right there. Um, but they're able to affect each other. Yeah. So it's kind of I like, I think you could even get more where it's like one particle affects, like it affects the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, to me, it's like, what do you, what do like all the kind of, and, uh, ancient teachings advocate for it's it's we live in this kind of inter interconnected unified oneness um the issue the notion of separateness is um you know it is a optical illusion and um i think quantum entanglement is essentially a scientific proof of of that concept because if one part of an ecosystem impacts another like without question then they're it's implicitly showing that it's connected um and so yeah that's my interpretation of it um Mm -hmm. this is just kind of like a proof to all that kind of stuff what did the image look like a yin and yang symbol really yeah i'll have to send you the article because um, it blew my mind, yin and yang, again, being the masculine and feminine energies coming back together in my mind, along with plenty of other ancient philosophies that bring yin and yang to the forefront. But again, when I went through studying the body and still study the body, I don't think I'll ever be done with it. It talks about those certain types of your body. And ultimately, it's unification in those energy centers. and depending on, again, to go back through, if you're talking about the hemisphere of the brain, there's a masculine and feminine side. If you're talking about parts of the body, there's a masculine and feminine side. If you get into spirituality, you'll hear in the collectives talk about divine masculine and divine feminine and these higher conscious aware beings coming together. Um, And that's even getting into like Shiva and Shakti talk. But I came across the article and I saw the picture and it looks like yin and yang. And it made me really happy. It just kind of added to the whole, ah, yes, like humans are evolving. Like we are, we are honestly catching up with what our ancestors might have already known. You know, we're getting closer to this connection that we have somehow been taken away from for so long. And now we're just reintroducing ourselves to it. But I agree with everything that you said too. That's really cool. Well, definitely send me that picture when you. You know, I after this episode, sure. I would love to see it. So before we let everybody know where we can find you, I have uh, one more question for you. Um, do you subscribe to 
the connection of your higher self or your oversoul? Like when you meditate, do you have a future self in mind that you feel is helping you stay energetically aligned with your goals? Um, I do. I do believe in that. And um, when I go into deep states, I feel like I can commune with that part of self. And so I, you know, most days feel like I'm kind of dropping in and asking questions um, and getting information. And, you know, the next kind of question becomes like, well, how do you know whether that's like your higher self or your thoughts or, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. And my experience is like, you, it's a difference in texture. It's like a different, it's like how, you know, someone's voice is like one friend's voice is different than another friend's voice. Like after lots of time of, of hearing that person and interacting with them, you understand like who's what, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's exactly how I feel with my higher self. So yeah, I'm a huge proponent of that and I rely a ton on it, um, to navigate life. And it's a huge blessing to to have that kind of connection uh, available to me. I love this whole conversation that we have had. You are just, the way you speak, the way you write, which speaking of the way that you write, let's get you some more followers on Substack and YouTube and wherever else that you're writing. Where can we find you at? Well, that's very kind, Cheyenne. It's, uh, I feel the same. I love what you're doing. And uh, I'm also very grateful for everyone that's listened. Um, yeah, so I do write about this stuff on Substack. You can just um, search my name, Scott Britton. Um, I think it's also, and I have a website now, scottbritton.me. The, but I need to still clean that up. So maybe just better to go to Substack. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, I am on YouTube. Um, I have a bunch of videos on there and podcast conversations like this. You can just search my name. Um, and you know, going out there and telling people about the consciousness experience is a, is a deep passion of mine. And so, uh, um, it's been an honor to do that here today. I'm very excited. Um, I would like to highlight a few of my favorite videos because I do like going back and re-listening to your stuff. Just like you explained the texture thing. They're just some people like we're all kind of spouting universal knowledge through our own vessels. And I think there's some people that they're just more attractive to learn the information from. There's something about their voice, the way they speak, even the vocabulary that you use. Um, So I find that being a very big attractiveness to me. Reading a lot of your content is a lot of the things that you think or questions that you've asked, I too have asked myself or am in the middle of asking myself that right now. So I highlighted some of my favorite videos that I obviously plan on going back to, but I wanted for all of our listeners to know my favorites because this is my show. <laughs> so the paradox of spiritual ambition, check. Meditation and neuroscience, because there's still so many people out there that are just like, what? Meditation? Sit down silently? Oh, I could never do that. My mind runs a hundred miles a minute, you know? So I think that's great because that's going to ground meditation for people. How to bend reality 
is for people that need to practice opening their mind, in my opinion, because all this is speaking my language. I don't have a problem believing in any guest that you bring on. And then um, your latest one, which is basically your relationship with money, and it's called consciousness and money, which I'm going to go back and redo that because I was very distracted when I was actually watching it. But those are like my highlighter ones right now. I know it'll change over time based on my own personal evolution. But for anybody out there, please go follow Scott. I would just like to throw this out there. Anytime you would like to come back on and talk and teach or, hey, when you publish that book, bring it back on and let me be a part of your press tour because I would, one, love to read your book and two, have another wonderful mind-bending, expanding conversation with you. That sounds like a plan. I would love that as well. And uh, yes, thanks again for all your kind words. It's very appreciated. Great. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Scott, you have a wonderful, wonderful day.